and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart and you're listening to our show, What To Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What To Be is a program provided by Your Future Is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or your future as our business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today I'm joined by Jim Alberte, who's a biologist. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking the time to do this interview today. I really appreciate you helping out. You're very welcome. Love to do it. Thanks. Jim, would you please, you've done so much in your career, would you please explain your career journey with us? Well, as I said before, we were talking, it's been a kind of a meandering path. I started out with a bachelor's degree, went to UOP, University of the Pacific, got a bachelor's of arts in biology. I spent a year in at San Joaquin General Hospital in training to be a med tech. I passed the state boards and I was able to get a job as a medical technologist and, and I did that based on being able to generate income so I could be self-sufficient, live on my own, have my own apartment and whatnot. And I worked at, Sta my first job was at Stanford University Hospital. And that kind of opened up a whole bunch of different doors for me. I was there at a time when Dr. Shumway had done his first heart transplant. And being the lowest guy on the totem pole in hematology, I was asked to have my own little lab that did strictly work for Dr. Shumway. And so I said, oh, that sounds great. And so they, they put me in this closet with my own machinery and whatnot. And I ended up doing hematology on canines, you know, dogs, because he had 40 German shepherds on the fourth floor at Stanford University. And he was practicing heart transplants at the time with the dogs. So from that... I uh, moved on and I uh, helped establish and set up a, a human clinical laboratory in Los Gatos that was becoming computerized and did that for about six months to a year and spent time connecting uh, chemical analyzers to computers. And this is back in the early 70s. So after that, I went, uh, I applied for a master's program at San Jose State in microbiology. And I got into uh, the graduate program there. And during that time, I spent working on my master's degree in biology as a plan A thesis, doing research there. I also got a high school teaching credential and a community college certificate to teach community college. And so after I finished up my master's at San Jose, I got a job at Gavilan College teaching uh, biology down there. And there was a lot of interest at the time to set up the animal health tech program. And so I was instrumental in writing the curriculum for the animal health tech program with the idea that, that Gavilan would become accredited with the state of California. So that didn't work out very well. And they asked me if I wanted to take the curriculum to some other place. And I did. I, I took the the animal health tech program curriculum up to Foothill College and got their program off and running. They became one of the three 
uh, schools that were teaching animal health technology, assisted in ha having them hire a veterinarian, and the veterinarian and myself co-taught the program at, at Foothill College for four or five years. At the time, I also was working at a private uh, pathology laboratory doing some chemistry work. And because of my experience at Stanford on canines, I was starting to see a lot of these veterinarians send work to a human laboratory to get their lab work done for their canines and other animals. Calines, felines, equines, uh, you name it. They sent the samples in. And this buddy of mine and I were looking at one another and we're saying, I don't know, these vets, they, they're in need of, of some place where they can send their stuff to to get really good results back because they weren't getting it in a human lab. So for the next year or two, I started a veterinary reference lab. And then long story short, it became quite popular. And, and I spent about four or five years doing that. So after that, I got into marketing and printing, amazingly enough, because of the laboratory that I owned, the, the vet re reference lab, we had this national program for mail-in stuff and veterinarians were sending us samples from all over the country. And so I had to develop a whole nother set of skills in marketing, producing collateral material, advertising, display ads, the whole nine yards. So I became kind of a quasi-expert at developing marketing materials. And one thing led to another. And 10 years later, I have 10,000 square foot building and 20 employees. And we're doing marketing and printing, six color brochures and foil stamping, the whole nine yards to the growing Silicon Valley crowd. And this is the time when all the high-tech businesses were just starting to explode in the early 90s until uh, 2003 is when I sold that business. Then I became a marketing consultant for a housing company over in San Jose, did uh, that for a couple of years. And before that, I actually developed some, patented some materials, and that took a couple of years in the interim. I was working on multiple projects the same time. I patented a uh, human birthing system and fetal heart monitor, and we marketed that. So that ended up me being retired, you know, pushing myself into retirement. And since I had sold my marketing and printing business, I became a consultant in marketing for a few years and then got interested in growing grapes. <laughs> and that's currently what I'm doing in retirement is growing some of the finest Pinot Noir in California, making wine and selling wine. So that's kind of where I am now. Okay. Thanks so much for sharing that, Jim. It sounds like a pretty amazing career journey. And we were talking before the interview and you were talking about the importance of being adaptable and it, and it sure sounds like you've been adaptable in your life. Do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, I think that the key to one's adaptability is to basically apply a few principles. You know, most people, I feel, uh, don't know how to study. And including myself, I, all through high school and first couple years of college, I had no clue on how to study. 
And it wasn't until I had a friend that was in a graduate program at UOP when I was working on my undergraduate degree, I would watch him just read. He would lay on a couch. We'd go study together, you know, and he would just read one book and he'd set it down and he'd read another book. And, and I'm trying to figure out what his modality was in terms of how he studied compared to what I did. You know, and typically what a student does is they go to class, they take notes, they read the assignments, they take tests on what was assigned, and they really don't get an, a full picture of what is really going on. And what I learned from this friend of mine, Mike, was that reading the textbook that's assigned is a fairly narrow bandwidth of what is being presented as the subject matter of the day. And so you really need to read more than one author and one source to get a better idea of what you're really talking about. You know, what, whatever the subject is, every person that writes a book takes a different angle at how they, by seeing and reading different sources and listening to your professor or your instructor and reading the assigned text, you get a much broader idea of what's going on. And one thing leads to another, and you, you start to get an idea of the bigger picture of things and how all the little pieces fit in. And anyway, one of the principles that I learned was how to study. The other thing was when I was working on my master's degree, I had a, a professor that was teaching us how to teach high school students. And one of the things that really stuck in my head was using his quotation, what good's it? You know, if you're teaching high school and there's, or junior high school, you know, the kids are kind of looking up at you and they're trying to figure out what you're trying to tell them. And in their minds, they're asking the question, what good's it? You know, why, why am I learning this? You know, what good is it to me to understand what this guy's talking about? And so I try to always perceive what they're thinking in terms of what I'm saying. And if I didn't have a way that could relate to them, then I would fail as a teacher. And that's one of the things that I felt that I was fairly successful in my teaching career. And that was, I never left a single person in my class behind. And that if I was talking on the subject matter and they had to understand that no matter what, everybody moved to the next day of how to study and how to be honest with yourself. You know, the key to really good studying and good education is to be honest with yourself. If you're not, you're just fooling yourself and you're trying to fool other people. So when you are studying, you have to truly be honest with yourself. Do I know what this means? Do I know what this, what I'm, what I'm understanding here? And if I'm not, take some notes. Because so many people just study the stuff they know over and over again. And they miss the big picture. Jim, do you think that students these days might be more distracted with how accelerated our, our world is today? Yeah, I think that that goes back to the whole idea of what the entire sphere of understanding is, because most people enter into this technological realm through 
a single source, you know, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or whatever it might be, and their compadres, if you will, their friends, their neighbors, their family. And so generally what happens with a person entering into the technology field today is they enter in through a portal that's very, very narrow bandwidth. It's like passing through a single door. It's like leaving your front door and opening up into a world of activity. And the unfortunate thing is there's just so much distraction in the internet today. And, and most kids don't understand that the whole internet, as they see it, the search engines and all that stuff, everything relating to the internet is directly proportional to business. And most people don't get that until they get to college or they understand by somebody, you know, telling them that the internet is just a search engine to get you to buy stuff. That's all it is. You know, you can get information, but you only just scratch the surface of that information. The Wikipedia type level of understanding of things. But if you really want to know the good stuff, You've got to go get a password to a university and get into their library system, you know, and you could do that very easily. And, and unfortunately, most, most people don't, you know, go down that road. They don't read medical journals. They don't understand, you know, the big picture of what's happening. They just see focused descriptions of people that want to either tell it as fifth grade understanding material, or they want to politicize it somehow so they can, you know, bend your mind into thinking into what they like to present to you. But it really boils down to sales. You know, what are they, <laughs> they're trying to sell you something. And so how they create that position in your mind is based on how they're trying to sell you stuff. Thank you for sharing that with us, Jim. And for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the What To Be Show at KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM and streaming online at ksqd.org. I'm Patrick Hart and I'm speaking with microbiologist Jim Alberti. And Jim, I was wondering, you've done so much in your life. What have you enjoyed, I guess, with all the things that you've done? Does anything stand out as being more fulfilling than, than the others? One of the things that comes to mind um, is that you kind of build, you know, you get a base education and you get a base of skills and you kind of build on those things. And one opportunity that I had, and I've, I've had a lot of them, one that comes to mind is that I was doing some marketing work with Salinas Valley Memorial Hospital down in Salinas. And it was a time, it was really exciting right about the time when the space program was taking off and the, there was a lot of connections and I had some previous experience with NASA when I did my master's degree one summer, I worked out at NASA. And so they had this connection between NASA and Salinas Valley Memorial and the government. And I think Stanford was involved in it, but basically it was utilizing the technology they had in heart implants and heart testing with NASA's technology. And they wanted to do this joint project with Salinas Valley Memorial in their new cardio center. 
And so it involved having these cardio center in Salinas being the first one that was going to be online for doctors all over the country via the internet to watch a heart surgery and to have teaching cardiologists, you know, talk about it while surgery is actually live. And so as a result of that, in the opening of this cardio center, they asked me to, they got permission from the government. At this time, I believe it was Clinton was president. And the, the administrator to this hospital went back to Washington, D.C., had a sit down with some people. And I think Clinton was involved in making the decision that they were going to do this project. So it was a joint project. And so they came to me and they said, what we need is a new logo. We need a new identity for this project. And we want you to take the NASA, you know, the, they call it the meatball, the, the NASA, NASA uh, National Administration of Space. There was a logo that had a world and it had a kind of a swath through it, you know. And so I was given the opportunity to design a logo that merged Salinas Valley Memorial's logo in their new cardio center with the NASA logo to make one new identity. And to my surprise, everybody loved it and thought it was pretty cool. So I developed a whole series of collateral material that went around this logo. And they wanted me to make patches that would go on your shirt or your jacket or whatnot. So I designed the patch and... Uh, Later on, it was uh, newspaper articles about this, but John Glenn, the, one of the first astronauts, I believe was in his 60s or so, was going back into space again. And this was a big deal. An older man going back and reinventing re a lot of the things that he had done earlier in his life. And I was that was a proud moment for me because... On John Glenn's uniform was this patch. Well, that is amazing. What a great opportunity for you. Yeah. Jim, what advice or resources can you give to students who are interested in pursuing a career? And if they're not really sure what they want to do, can you give them any advice? Well, I think the best advice that I would suggest is to maybe become a, if they're in high school, there's interact programs, a Rotarian interact high school program. And if your school doesn't have an interact program, then it may be that you want to meet somebody or find somebody in your local area, your local Rotary club that wants to sponsor your high school and developing a Rotary interact club. And it's you go to meetings, you go to some Rotary meetings, and you have your own meetings, and you develop an ability to do things, to do good for people. You know, because one of the things that's really important in life, in my opinion, is to become empathetic. And empathy is very important in life. And so Rotary teaches youth to interact and to become a team, if you will, on the high school level. And they do all kinds of projects, raising money. They pick whatever they want to support and a local club supports them. And it becomes like a mini, a base for understanding, a base for uh, being able to communicate with Rotarians 
And that's where you can get those mentorships. If you talk to a Rotarian and you ask them some questions, you're able to meet, you know, once or twice a year, your, your high school club meets at the Rotary and you can make friendships very easily with Rotarians. They're, they're open arms to people who ask and questions and in their profession or just in general. And so those kinds of mentorships are very important, whether it's your high school teachers or whether it's your local Rotary Club or other places where you can find people that have expertise that you can tap into and, and ask truthful questions and expect to get truthful answers back. Thank you, Jim. And what advice could you give to a student who is unsure about their career path? I think if you are a student that has no idea with, with what you want to do in life, you have to come to the conclusion. You have to be honest with yourself to say, whatever I do, I need to do it right. I need to do it the best that I possibly can. And if I find that I have a, a need to, to build a skill or to develop those skills, I need to go to the right source to get those skills. And so if you're in high school, you know, you can do that by part-time jobs or whatever. But if you're in Cabrillo or some other school, you know, you can get those skills either, you know, through classes at Cabrillo, or if you're going on to university, you can get academic skills. At one point or another, you're going to need to develop something that is of interest to you and something that is the motivation for you to go into one area or another. And it really doesn't matter what it is. You just have to understand what that does, what your motivation is, and what you do is going to be something that is going to allow you to be self-sufficient. And so a lot of people say, oh, I want to be a, play a guitar in a rock band. Well, okay, how are you going to do that? And if you, you have, first you have to be a good instrumentalist, and then you have to be able to understand a little bit about business. And so you have to understand what booking is all about and how you get a, you know, a band or a group together and all of that. And it, if you understand the big picture, there's probably five or 10,000 of these bands that start up every year. And I would say out of that, maybe one or two get on to the point where they can actually make money for themselves that they can live on. Okay. So you have to be truth, truthful to yourself about what it is that you want to do and how you're going to generate income so that you can move on to a different thing that is tied to that experience that you had initially. Okay. And you're talking about maybe looking at the motivation behind your decision of what you might want to do. Like if it was, as your example, being a, a rock star, is it, is it because you want fame or is it, it should be, I think, for your desire, because of your desire of playing music, right? That's true. And so a lot of people that really are, truthfully, if you're a musician, there's really a dichotomy of musicians that are out there, ones that can really play and uh, play music, read music, understand music theory, and 
you know, in a sense, they, in order for them to become the best in their realm, they need to understand and go to school to be proficient in music. And so the percentages of people that are successful and just standing up there and being a quote unquote rock star is so minimal that it's almost impossible. I mean, if you think getting into, you know, into medical school is hard, you know, being a rock star, it's like infinitely harder than going to medical school and being successful at it. And I think people just have this perception that it's easy, but it's not. You know, my dad used to own a record manufacturing company in the 40s and 50s and 60s, 70s. And as a kid, you know, I worked there in the summer times and whatnot, and I saw these one after another bands in Los Angeles thinking they're going to make it big time. And it was so sad to see them all fail because it's extremely hard to break into that industry. Mm -hmm. And and even for the people who do make it, there's plenty of examples of how hard that life is to live. It's exactly true. Yeah. You know, and that that's just one of hundreds of different professions or or things that you can thousands of different things that you could get into. And the key is to have a you know a burning feeling of what you want to do in your life. What is it that you're good at, you know, are you good at academics or you know, sometimes some people are good at math, but they've never been tutored in, you know, how to apply those math skills to making money, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the same, same with other skills that you develop. You know, the, the unfortunate thing with teachers today is the fact that they never explain the practicality of what they're teaching. And so a lot of people only get this perception of, well, I got to be, if I'm going into science, I have to be good at math and science and, you know, biology. I have to be good at this and that and whatever. And they don't, the teachers don't explain to them, here's a simple equation. What do you use this equation for? You know? Jim, is there anything that you would like to leave us with? Um, I think if you're looking in the forward direction of where you want to go, it's important to look beyond the hood ornament of the car. And you need to look down the road to see where you're going to be in six months, a year, in five years, and and how you're going to get there. And the best way to get there is to be honest with yourself and to provide yourself with certain skills, no matter what those skills are. If you become proficient in any skill, it's going to be able to generate income. I agree with that. And thank you very much for sharing that with us and for taking the time to answer some questions today and be a part of the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, microbiologist Jim Alberti. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays 
and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can look us up on major podcasting streaming platforms like Spotify. Please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your future as our business. Thank you and see you next time.